What's really going on, everybody? Back again with another episode. This is season three, episode 12. We are back again. Before we get into all of the latest news, be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. That includes at WRGOPod. I feel like we have all been content creators this past week. Henry is out here posting uh, three buttons undone with the shirt. Henry is out, uh, Mackenzie is out here posting reels about the late, uh, uh, what was it, what that man name? I don't know if I got it. Jerry Springer. Boy, 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 come on, get, okay, like, we've been content creators. Make sure you follow us on all the <laughs> social media platforms at WRGO. That's included Spotify, SoundCloud, everything you can get a podcast on, Twitter, Instagram, all of that stuff. For context, it's 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 past our recording bedtime. It's ten forty three on the East Coast time, uh, so we will get all into it as always. I am Noah, joined by Mackenzie and Henry. First off, how are you guys? I'm doing good. Like you said, it's late on the East Coast. I'm a little tired, but I'm doing good. It's almost um, the weekend when we're recording, so I'm happy. Henry, exercises, breathing exercises, man. <laughs> we'll unpack that once again offline. <laughs> so to begin, if you have not seen, uh, President Biden has officially entered uh, the 2024 race. Um, he is now officially in. There will be no Democratic challenger or no Democratic uh, primary. He will just go straight through to the general. Um, there is some polling that I found that was actually pretty interesting uh, that I got from a website called 538. So Biden's approval is uh, 42%. His disapproval is 52 uh, meanwhile, the Republican primary, as of today, in a snapshot poll, Trump is at 52%, DeSantis 23%, former Vice President Mike Pence, uh, Mike Pence 6 and Nikki Haley 4 Trump's approval is also 45% to a 51% disapproval. I'll let you guys start. Anything that jumped out from that polling uh, and or what should Biden's top issue be uh, in the 2024 race? What should Biden's top issue be? Mm-hmm. Um, Get this inflation under control. Yeah, that should be number one at this point. That's why I'm like, I said the question because I'm like, what are all, what's the number one issue? And I do think it's inflation, interest rates, um, all of that. Because I feel like that those are the things that are immediately hitting people's pockets every single day. So that would be I my won- point. I wonder if he's going to make that the focus. Because um, then it's like, I wonder if you then bring people's attention to something bad. And I don't know, if I were him, I probably wouldn't start there. I would probably start with like things that probably get your people more likely to turn out to vote. Like I would probably say like, oh, abortion rights and look at all this crazy shit that they're doing and or like gun control. Um, because then I don't know, but what I mean, what would you all say? Like what would Biden's economic message be that would be like enticing you to like do something? I don't know if that hits me. Um- I would say the type three would probably be getting the student loan situation under control. Um, Number two would be abortion rights. And then um, number three would be, like you said, gun control and I guess, i.e. police reform. Mm -hmm. Um, But the only thing with those, though, like, I feel like he is going to run on that because those are Mm -hmm. those are things that he can like you can blanket and just kind of say he's going to do something with. But it's. yeah, I just I feel like he is going to run on that, but I don't feel like is that something that he can actually change just because seeing how the student loan situation happened and how that kind of like fell through, even though he did make a point to at least try to do that with the student loans forgiveness. Um, and then it's kind of left up to the states now. So I'm not sure. 
Henry, um, is there any specific economic thing that you would want Biden to do that he hasn't done yet? Well, I guess that's what, like, why I started laughing when you asked the question at first, because, like, for me, it's kind of what McKinsey said, also, like, he did try. So, like, you know, politicians, they always go on these, like, blanket, I guess that's the key term here, statements or, like, ideologies of you know bigger ideas but not really being able to do something about it so I guess that's why I was kind of like it was cool to see him actually push a bill through although it wasn't as much as we would want um and I guess for me especially again with inflation I'm on all this stuff the student loans is probably my biggest like hair <laughs> um because that yeah. directly affects but it was also interesting to hear you say how, like, with all the crazy things going on, it would be interesting to see how he attacks or speak toward those subjects. Because, like, gun control is a serious, serious topic. I mean, it has been for a few years, and I don't think there's been any major legislation to, like, work toward a change, um, per my knowledge. So that that would be really interesting abortion would be very interesting considering again the craziness uh and i'm speaking from like ron DeSantis specifically all the stuff that he's doing that i'm in my mind thinking other southern states would kind of champion and pickpocket their own versioning of that if they're not already doing it so like yeah it, it will be very interesting i can't say like, I don't know what he's going, going to say, but for me, student debt is definitely like that big one that I'm like, I'm interested to see how he speaks about it, considering it's held up in the court. He can't really do anything about it, but it's still uh, uh, something <laughs> that needs to be, uh, I guess, legislated or talked about so we can have a like final answer. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to ask you, um, you both, and I'll start with you, Mackenzie, is I, I I mean, we always know this. There's like Biden's like general message, and then there's his message to different demographic groups, mainly black people. Um, I don't really know what he would say to specifically a group of black voters in the sense of like, I don't really know if he has like the big thing that he can showcase that he's done besides like doing that kind of whole fear oh, thing. Of, like, say, I didn't mean to cut you off, but he been no, talking about if you ain't black you or i mean if you don't vote for biden you ain't black or whatever he said that uh when he was running that wild statement we that already, wouldn't even hurt my feelings because stop talking to me it's not about hurting my feelings yeah it's about like over like i it guess happened. yeah as yeah. a white man you don't have the ground or like, why would you say that? You don't have the ground to try to tell me who I am because I don't support you. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so he bet not come with that. So back to Noah's question, what did he do for the Black folks? Or or, or just rather, what's your... Yeah, I mean, there's probably stuff that he's done, but then it's a matter of how you... Like, what do we always talk about is how you package it. And I don't know if he has, like, that 30-second... Like, what's his 30-second ad to Black voters? I don't know what it is. Um, He's going to start off with... Um, He was... Uh, vice president to a black man and that's now all he, news. That's and, then, all you know, news. and then he was a pioneer in getting um a black woman into the office i'm sure that's, that's what the... he's gonna do that would definitely be the first intro of the package 
with a However, picture of like Katanji Brown Jackson right beside yeah, it. Yeah, like probably, Kathy, yeah. wait, wait, but that's her. Uh, Katanji is actually a good, a a a, a good one. I would say because mm-hmm. he got the pig. If he yeah. was there, she would not be there. So actually, Noah, not even trying to be funny, that would like the Kamala and Obama like. Get off Obama Hotel. He, he writing movies and stuff uh, right now. Kamala, she keep that press curl good and, you know, saying good. But, like, what? And I, I want to ask this question since we own this. But, like, two, I think Katanji is a good, fair, like, mm-hmm. arguable. I That's, did this That's a major achievement. Black woman. That's a long lifetime. Mm-hmm. See, so the, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be no, mad. I mean, I get that. Like, I get it. That's admirable. We I don't know if that bags at the barbershop. <laughs> yeah, but, but it is kind of like still though. Like, what's in front of me today, right now, mm-hmm. is a monthly payment to my student loans. What's in front of me right now would be probably, or not me right now, but for some women in some states, you know, access to abortion is something they have to face right now, and like. Yes, thank you. We appreciate visibility and representation. However, there's other things that you were we were promised. First of all, we were promised a lot of the stuff he said he was going to do before he even got into office. So it's not even like, you know, we're asking for too much. I agree with that. And I think we can continue on with the um, Supreme Court. It was funny when when Henry mentioned um, Kamala's press and curl. The funniest thing I've seen since on Twitter was a picture of Kamala and Queen Latifah. And then it was basically a vote count of who has a better press and curl. And Queen Latifah, I feel like, is the only answer. Yeah, definitely Queen Latifah. Yeah, Queen Latifah is the only answer. Anywho, um, going on to the Supreme Court, this week there's been a big push with members of Congress and kind of some Democratic groups um, to push to talk about expanding the court after recent news, especially that Clarence Thomas uh, and his ties to a Republican mega donor um, who's apparently like a Nazi like supporter or some shit or like memorabilia in his house. Um, how do you feel about like court expansion? Because I feel like we talk about the court all the time and there are nine seats on the court. There wasn't always nine. Um, do you feel like that's something that Democrats should push more? I just feel like more seats to do what? Like, you know, like it's not not like that, but I think it's it's still the importance of who's in that seat. No matter, we get expanded to 12 people. If 12 people are on one side of it, of the argument, then it's 12 people on one side. I don't necessarily- Yeah, I don't think necessarily expanding the court is the solution. It's just about the people who are in the seat. Yeah, I was going to say like, instead of championing like, expansion they should probably champion limiting terms i was gonna say that yeah this clarence thomas situation you know unfortunately (sighs) you know this is a good reason to be put up out of there in my eyes and then i'm pretty sure once they do some deep diving investigations it's some other people that's probably (laughs) can get put up out of there too i don't know how long how long would the seats then be if you I think presidents can sit for how long? So for my thing, eight years, as many as eight. I think maybe somewhere between maybe sixteen. I think sixteen years is fair. That I get. Why sixteen? Yeah. You don't want it to be too short to where every. I think what you would have to do is you would ideally spread it out so where ideally every president, unless there's like a death, would get one. 
because you wouldn't want it to be some oh, type or, or there's some work. type of math to where you wouldn't want one president to get like multiple because then that would just one yeah. president wouldn't have oh, over influence. Trump had three. That's so it's like, saying. yeah. So it's like you would probably try to maybe spread it out because then you wouldn't want a judge to be influenced just by the politics of the president, even though they always are. Um, and 16 years is enough for them to do the job and then just kind of like transition out. Like, I don't, I think that's probably the best case because like to Henry's point, like if Trump gets three, his impact in our politics is going to be long after he's gone because the judges he was appointing were like 40 years old. Um, bro, bro, and my thing is like the court is lean very much to like, excuse me, I'll be right, Republican. Conservative, yeah. yeah. And that's not so, going to change like anytime soon. It's, it's just like, like we see how Roe v. Wade got overturned. <laughs> like that was a ground, like, change, you know, that's crazy. Like never would we have thought, but here we are. America. Uh, one thing that um, Henry put in uh, our rolling chat this week that I found very interesting uh, is pay disparities in the WNBA. So there was a Bloomberg article that spotlighted the growing uh, pay gap between the WNBA and NBA players. So this past year, the WNBA actually doubled its total revenue, uh, increasing to as much as $200 million this year. Um, there continues to be a large pay discrepancy between the WNBA, whose players can earn somewhere between $62,000 at the minimum and $234,000, which is the max. Uh, meanwhile, uh, NBA players, the max they can receive is like, I think, up to like $60 million, something crazy. Um, so WNBA players receive 9% of NBA revenue or 9% of their league revenue while NBA players get 51. Um, one part of this that I actually did find interesting that I actually forgot about was that Brittany Griner was actually detained in Russia because she was playing overseas in Russia where she earns over a million dollars a year. So clearly leagues in Europe pay women better than they pay here in America. Um, do you think this should be a bigger conversation? I know, you know, we've talked about I feel like women's athletics more in the past couple episodes with a with Angel Reese. Um, and, you know, we mentioned the U.S. women's uh, national team getting equal pay to the men. Do you feel like this should be a bigger conversation, especially amongst NBA players? I think that's probably the biggest fault that I have that they don't talk about this more. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. This needs to be a bigger conversation because um it's a it's a large pay gap. It's not even Huge. like a couple thousand dollars, even though I don't support any pay gap. But like that's a large gap. And it's unfortunate that players do have to go overseas. But I do think like what you said about the NBA players, which some of them have some of them mm -hmm. have gone mm -hmm. to games. But I do think the, the best thing that the only way, in my opinion, to bring it close the gap is to have the allyship allyship and that's why I think this is so important about the importance of allyship because I don't think that women or the women WNBA can get there without the support of the NBA mm -hmm. and, and big large NBA players um but yeah it definitely needs to be a big conversation because it's ridiculous um I agree with everything because just said like whoa well, no, I agree with what you said, but when I said that, I was thinking, because you said, I don't think they're going to get there without the support of, like, big NBA players or whatever. I think because, like, like a large, let's say how, I don't know this girl name from LSU. I'm sorry. Angel Reese. Yeah, Angel. My bad, Angel. You you come back. But anyway, um, you see, she's blowing up. Like, mm -hmm. she maybe not, not even go to the WNBA, but, like, 
whatever it is, she's brought a lot of attention to women's sports. And I think that's going to consistently happen, hopefully. And hopefully that then, like, because it's so much, like, attention on it, people are paying more attention to it. It naturally becomes a conversation, hopefully. I'm just being... I, I, think, it need, I think it needs to be both, because I think it's, like... Um it would certainly be helpful that people like Angel Reese are there because I think she is clearly unafraid to say what she feels. Um, but she's made more money like through like sponsorships than she would in the WNBA, like at any level. Like she's already made, I think like over like 700,000. She would never get that in the in the WNBA. Um, but I agree. Like, I think it's on players like LeBron and Steph to be like, not only are we going to like support this, but like we're because the WNBA and the NBA are all one entity and it should be not like a, the WNBA needs to do better. Like, no, we need to all do better. And this is wrong. And whether that means taking something off of my plate, that's fine. Um, because then there's going to be a growing conversation as this game does get more popular. If you're making $62,000, you can't probably afford to live in the places in which you're even playing. Um, so it's like, then what's the conversation there? And, and to the point, though, like about representation, people have been saying that like a lot of guys say that. But like if we even take gender out of it, we get when black people get in movies and get the biggest platforms, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're still paid equally as our white counterparts mm -hmm. just because we are getting more attention. So it is kind of like, yes, representation matters. Yes. You know, getting more ideas sparks the conversation. But I think the only way to get it on paper in contract form is to really have the heavy hitters who can really go to the owners or whoever the powers that be in that field or whatever and sit down and talk about like this needs to change period you know what's interesting about like the analogy you just made to movie actors if i'm not mistaken lebron james is the reason octavia spencer got paid like her correct amount of money yeah mm -hmm. um netflix thing she did about Madison mm -hmm. Walker. Yeah, so I know he was involved in the in the production well, side. That is so interesting. That and then not even not even just him, but like when I don't want to name the actor or whatever, but I've heard other stories where it's been white actors having to go to the table for a black actor <laughs> and be like, "No, we're not doing this." Yeah, to make sure that they get paid. I don't think that that would have happened just because we have more movies on the screen you know like it just mm. somebody has to really go to the table and I think that that really is the importance of allyship that's fair that's fair that's very fair somebody gotta be willing to fall on the sword yeah but the thing is it really wouldn't be a sword if you're a LeBron James and that's why it has to be the heavy hitters who is yeah. like you don't really have much you don't have anything to lose you're Michael you're Michael I mean not Michael Jordan uh LeBron James <laughs> <laughs> let me not get to the weeds of sports because i do not know these people <laughs> but to your point mackenzie i think that's like the value point is like you you get the people who have the platform the influence and who don't have to answer to anybody people like steph don't have to answer to anybody people like lebron like these people can just say hey this is what i feel and i'm going to keep talking about it and it's wrong that we don't do it no one's going to tell them like okay no they might tell them no but then it's a matter of like bully pulpit you have the platform you have the money to do all of that um so you can do all that and i think the one thing that we don't talk about enough is that now that the sport is actually like increasing there needs to also be a conversation of like if there is all of this increasing revenue like why is that not being equally split but to your point mackenzie it takes allyship and all of that 
one thing that I did want to ask you all uh, as we were going to pivot into our entertainment bag, obviously the Met Gala happened uh, a couple days ago. It was uh, in honor of Carl Lagerfeld, the late uh, designer. Any favorite looks, any hits, any misses? Uh, before we even ask that question, wasn't he like racist and a bigot? Um, yes. Or, or 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 rather or no 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 because I read a book um Andre Leon Talley who's a famous black fashion editor had a lot about him in his book that wasn't in there it just seemed like he was a very erratic person in terms of like you would be cool with him and then Andre Leon Talley's like last two decades of his life he basically like phased him out and they were like this for decades so it's interesting he seems odd um but I just heard I read a Vogue article that said what's the big problem with Carl whatever his last name is being the theme nonetheless the, what's the Tom brown that's his tom. name <laughs> yeah tom brown he ate yeah like, he, yeah he did it up suits, all of the tailoring yeah. like i loved it um my favorite looks probably would probably be in his camp i mean mm, same. i'm not gonna lie Rihanna, I wasn't that like I liked it, but it wasn't like oh my gosh. I was I very kind of like disappointed for it because that Como, the Como dress she wore, like not Como, the designer is the mm -hmm. same person that did that flower looking thing she did mm -hmm. a few years ago. It looked very similar, mm -hmm. but when she pulled it down, it it looked better. I wasn't on it like I was. And then if you think about like Chanel, the brand, because that's where his major influence per my mm -hmm. understanding was, um, it was like the flower and then the like, I guess, overarching idea of like the simpleton of it. Like he took Chanel to that high class, like women being like just bourgeois you know what i'm saying like when you get the chanel bag that was the burke burke before you know that's very true i ain't got no money like that i'm just talking for real but no, you point don't. you know what i'm saying per my understanding of how the ranks are chanel was one of those higher class brands that you're not just walking around in no chanel you know what i'm saying so it I was a shout that. out um I want to shout out especially Mary J. Blige for saying, wait, there was a theme and just came in like some black and blue shit. No, seriously. I'm she said, she said, what Bro, theme? I'm just showing so up. Funny. Is, I will say Diddy and Carisha. They they was I wasn't a fan of his whole ensemble. Yeah, I didn't like I, the whole. Yeah, yeah, there were pieces that were and there. There were more black designers on the carpet. Mm -hmm, that which was nice. Um, celebrities also, so I thought that was pretty nice. And Doja is, is stupid. Like, she looked nice, but why are you walking around? Man, I, like, bro, we grown. Like, once or twice, it's cute. But the whole night, bro? She's a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Be cute. Don't spaz on me, y'all. Oh, you know who popped out that I wasn't expecting, but her shoes were ugly to me. Yari Sahidi or whatever her name is. Yar. Yara Shahidi. Yeah, no, she she had something nice on. She was she was fun. Yeah. She was nice. Oh, you know who looked good too? Chloe, uh, not Chloe, Hallie. Mm -hmm. No, she looked nice. Um, I like Bad Bunny's fit. I thought the back out being out. That was to me creative. No, I was like, I, I, that I was like that. I like that. That was a very outfit. So, okay. So y'all see Henry's uh, delts that he's been working on in the gym. 
I'm next uh, Met Gala. <laughs> I'm going to get my invite one day. All right. So we are now going to take our first ever break on the podcast before we bring back our special guest. And that is what we call a tease. All right. We are back after our first official break that Henry never thought that we had. Now I'm going to toss it to Mackenzie, who can introduce our special guest. Hey, guys. So I have a special guest, um, one of my line sisters, my friends from college, um, Myesha Miller, who is a who is a part of the WGA strike, the Hollywood strike. Um, and my first question to you is just what is it like on the ground? What is the energy like? The energy is very, I would say, unifying. Like, I feel like to be able to go out there, this is a very historical moment. Um, you know, these are things that, you know, I've been in the industry for like roughly what we graduated maybe like seven years ago. So I've been in the industry like, like five years or so. And so these are like stories that we heard of like what they experienced like back in 08. And so it's really interesting to now be in this situation, even though I saw it coming. Um, but I would say like the energy is high. People are serious. It's really fun actually to be able to go out there and like network with people who are doing like what it is that I love and like what I dream to do, like people who I see in the rooms, like there are a lot of people who I see out there who are on my show. Um, and so it's just, it's really like an uplifting, I feel like unifying energy, I would say out there. Can you talk about just like what led to this? I know we dived into like the energy, but what even started this and sparked this? Because I know you mentioned also in 2007, 2008, which I do want to mention, if you don't know, like if you go back and watch those like girlfriends and stuff um, that I kind of got back into during the pandemic, they abruptly ended. And I'm assuming that's around the same time as the strike in 2000, 2000, 2007 to 2008. But if you can just talk about like how we even got here. So essentially, from what I know, what I know, so the WGA and um, AMPTP, which is the uh, studios union, and then WGA is the writers union. Obviously, um, they our our contract expired on May first, and so for a little over a month or so, they have been negotiating um, new terms for to renew a contract. And there were a lot of different things that uh, the WJ, D, WGA was asking for that essentially, honestly, is fair. Like, I feel like streaming has became a thing, I guess, within the last decade. And it really kind of changed the entire landscape of television. And so there are a number of concerns and a number of things that the WGA proposed and brought to AMPTP. But it's to me, one of the biggest concerns is definitely like streaming residuals. So whereas traditionally, traditionally like with broadcast um, and cable, there are residuals that writers receive for repeats. And so streaming, again, changing the landscape now, you know, we used to have on demand with cable. Now it's, you know, you stream everything. So you, it's literally everything is on demand. You can, if you miss the show's premiere or an episode premiere or whatever, you can go and stream it at your own leisure, at your own time. But 
writers aren't seeing the the benefit of that. They're not getting residuals from that. So I think I have read in the trades like back in 2020 when COVID first happened, um, they had mentioned something about like Adam Sandler. There was a film, um, I can't think of the name of the film off the top of my head, but it was a film that was like one of the most watched, you know, uh, films on Netflix, right? And so, but Adam Sandler, he wasn't receiving like his residuals from that. So it's just things like that where traditionally they would, like if it was to air on, like I said, cable, they would be receiving residuals. So I know that's one of the biggest, um, biggest concerns. Also, and this is something that affects me as someone who is pre-WGA, you know, I've worked, I'm working in a writer's room. I've worked in writer's rooms as support staff and I'm in the process of transitioning and working to transition. So I've been having meetings with, uh, agents, having meetings with managers, having generals with uh, execs, but, you know, there used to be more episode orders from, from cable and network. And so now like with streaming, it, it has also created a dynamic where you're not getting as many episodes. So like you might get a, you know, series ordered, but it's only eight episodes or 10 episodes. And it used to be more than that. And so what that what we're also seeing is like, the rooms are much smaller too. So like one of the things that, you know, the WGA proposed was a minimum of six writers, four being writer producers. So that means two, you have at least two staff writers, which is like the entry level um, for right. So me, the next step for me would be to be a staff writer. And that affects me because the, because the rooms are smaller, there's less opportunities for writers like me to be staffed in a room because, you know, sh uh, the studios have been getting over and being able to save more money by having smaller rooms. And the writers are feeling that the writers are feeling because it's a lot of work that you put in, not just a season, but an episode. Um, and so like, that's something that directly impacts me. Um, another concern is like, when we, we're all hearing how, um, you know, artificial intelligence is developing. And so like, that's a concern. Like it's been a, a definite conversation, like all throughout Twitter. What's the conversation though? Are they trying to say that they could then, AI can then write a script? Right. <laughs> Or that, that's that's the that's the idea, and so like I know um, one of the things that the WJGA proposed was to regulate the use of artificial intelligence, and you know that was something that AMPTP rejected, and they instead countered it by offering annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology, which is crazy. And so, you know, and we already see it, like we already see in, in some shows where, I mean, I personally have seen on Twitter with some shows, like you see like background cast and it's artificial intelligence. And it- the Wait, shit, what do you mean? What do you mean? That's like, what I was gonna say, wait, you put me on my mind is I'm going- scared. So I know, like, scared. like fake people in the background, like I wish- That's Wow. I will send you, I will text you like oh this, goodness. this video that I saw on Twitter where it was like a legit show and somebody on Twitter called it out and like zoomed in and it was legitimately a fake actor. It was like a fake. That's so, so they, so they don't want to pay actors to be 
on the set. True. So, like, what I mean, I'm, this is a way to save money, and I'm not yeah. saying like, that's not. We're not there completely, but that's definitely something that the WGA proposed because it's been a conversation about the use and the development of artificial intelligence and the use of that to essentially replace writers, which we know that's crazy. Yeah, right? but I believe it though, cause it's a real concern. I saw um, on the news the other day, this person said that um, anonymous, he submitted an essay uh, using a chat GPT or whatever, and he got a 98%. If you transfer that yeah. to six pages, that could turn into a script and then we got something else going on. So I do believe, that you know a lot of our jobs should honestly be concerned for real yeah it's really scary um it's really scary but honestly like as a creative and just you it's it takes creativity like you have to think in depth I mean I don't know a lot about artificial intelligence I don't know how extensive it is I but my thing is like as someone who has literally been in a room and broken story, and as someone who has scripts of my own, like stories of my own that I have done like hours and hours of research to like be able to implement that and then go back and take information from an interview and tell it in a very creative, artistic way. I just, I feel like that going in that direction will forever change the landscape of television in in a negative way and that's my opinion so it's interesting it's interesting uh like I said as somebody who's pre-WGA you know being out there um at the like the protests the different like strike locations it's honestly like we're networking we're talking to showrunners we're talking to people who want to do like who do who are doing what it is that we want to do I just met this amazing, um, he's like a, a senior writer today. And like now, you know, he, I have had some generals with a very popular management company and am waiting on them to get back to me after reading my script. And he's like, oh, I'm repped by them too. Like send me your information. I'll, you know, send them an endorsement and I'm gonna introduce you to my rep as well. Like there's a lot of that going on too. And that's something that, you know, my colleagues like staff, writers on my show have and just my mentors in general and people I know in the industry who are staff like have been telling me like yo back in 2008 it was a great way to meet people and a lot of people also like met partners like <laughs> their husband and wives out there so it's it's a very interesting experience um but yeah like it's very necessary though it's very necessary um and I feel like this is going to impact my future as a writer. So do you like, feel like there's a discrepancy? I mean, obviously, you know, in any walk of business or any walk of profession, there are less people who look like us, specifically less people who look like you specifically or Mackenzie. <laughs> do I um, feel that way? <laughs> no, no. I was saying, is there a discrepancy? Because this is a union and there are very many, there are a lot of voices that the union has to try to represent. And oftentimes that will come at the expense of black and brown people, especially women. Do you feel like there is a different set of asks that you and other writers, whether black and brown and women specifically have that might differ from your white male counterparts? At the end of the day, a union is just a melting pot. And there are a lot of different people who would say, yeah, the white people are asking for this, but the black people are asking for something totally different. Yeah. Well, Do you, you feel know, like there's any of that? 
I think that majority of what we saw the WGA propose impacts everyone and benefits everyone. I will say as a person of color who has been in some predominantly white rooms, I think that there's work to do on that end for sure. Um, you know, I think that, you know, when the, I think it was, yeah, 2020, when the George Floyd situation happened, there was like this huge push in Hollywood to, you know, bring um, voices, like uh, POC voices, specifically Black people, like to the forefront and like uplift our content and and uplift our storytelling and just uplift us in general. Sadly, that has declined significantly and myself and my counterparts can, we all see that, we all see that. Um, so yeah, I would say that there's always been work to do in Hollywood in terms of inclusivity. Um, I think that there are areas that we have seen improvements in, but I think we have a long way to go, especially for black people. So, and I mean, and and I say that because, you know, it's like, okay, you know, person of color, POC, the, that's like a hot, a hot button word, right? But I do feel like there are some demographics who assimilate and adapt a lot easier to white culture than Black people. Like, it's just, and so it's like, you know, whoever can assimilate best because you don't want the majority to feel uncomfortable because you're different. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, and also, especially as a writer, your experience is different. Things in which you're directly writing to a thousand, would probably a hit with us, but somebody who just doesn't have that life experience wouldn't understand percent. that. Even the stories that I've told, like I've, I have given my scripts, like I just hosted a table read on Sunday. It was my very first table read. Um, like by script anatomy and I was so proud of it I literally cried and you know while that was like you know I think it was like draft version number 10 like I've been working on the script for a long time and it's it's just a labor of love for me it's a story that I hold near and dear to me because it's the experience of not just myself but my friends my my black friends my black female friends and so it's one that like no one can argue with me about this being our experience, right? And I and I have given this script to white people and they just, some of them, some of them, not all of them just don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get the slang. I've got, I've received notes before, which you always take notes with a grain of salt. Um, but it's like, I've got notes where it's like, you know, it's, um, it's, what is the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, it's just our slang. It's the way that we talk and the person didn't understand. And it's like, it's, it was a joke and it just fell flat for her because she just didn't get it. And I feel like that right there is the importance of having diversity, not just on the writer side, but on all sides, like on the decision-making side, on the buyer side, on the distribution side, like on like actors, because you know, some of the dialogue, if, if I say something a certain way, I write something a certain way, I hear it in my head, like, I need somebody who can relate to this to deliver it the way that I, I wrote it and I envisioned it in my head. And so I do think there's just like a lot more uh, progress to be made. Unfortunately, there are a lot of predominantly white 
writers rooms that it's just not a lot of us in and it's hard it's hard as shit to navigate it's excuse my language but it's like I have literally held because I'm working on a short film right now that is about it's centered around like being a black woman in a predominantly white workspace and I have literally hosted like round tables of women and you would be shocked it's like damn we really live in the same life that's crazy we're at completely different companies and yet we're having the same experiences so I I mean you know I can go on and on and on about this I'm obviously very passionate about it because I experience it every day um and so I, I do feel like Hollywood as a whole has a lot of progress not even just with the WGA but just in general um to to make so no, I definitely can, oh, I can, I can definitely uh, understand as a black man in corporate America. Or- yeah, yeah. That, and that's a good point too, because it's not even just it's you can't even just say it's Hollywood. Like it's tech. It's it's every career. Like it's just it's our experience, sadly. But um, but I just feel like with Hollywood, I feel like it should be held to a higher standard or maybe not a higher standard, but I do feel like there are some higher expectations just because like everyone appears to be so liberal. And so like, you know, all about inclusivity and, you know, no one wants to get uh, canceled these days. You know what I mean? So it's like, let's really be about it and, and, and display that with how we, you know, choose to staff a room or like, you know, let's display that with how we hire people. Like, you're not about to tell me you, there's only like one or two black women who you could find that were qualified to do the job. I know so many. So it's, it's just interesting. That's definitely fair. Uh, I guess like for me, I would definitely want our listeners to know because I didn't know the many stages and like, like you're a writer, right? What's the like process of selling a show, getting it picked up, potentially even having it on air? Like, what does that even look like? Yeah, so it can look like a lot of different things. So I'm going to just speak from my experience because I have an agent and I've been in the process of like shopping around some projects that I've developed. So I could only speak to my experience and I maybe we'll touch on some things that I've heard happen before. So essentially you know, I develop a show. And again, there's different formats. So we're talking about writing specifically. It's like, I could have a general with, you know, an exec at a studio and pitch to this exec, my idea. Maybe, you know, I set up that meeting with her, him or her, because of my relationship with her. Maybe my reps set it up. Reps, meaning either my manager or my agents, they set that up, right? So I go in there and I have um, I have like some like materials to pitch to them and they like it. They're interested. OK, cool. If I have attachments like talent attachments, if I have production companies who are on board, if I have a showrunner who is like someone who runs the entire ship, if I have those types of attachments, even better, like it's easier to sell um, from the generals that I've had recently, I've learned that normally because you used to it used to be like you would go in with a with a pilot script for them to read and you can still do that but what I've learned recently at least from the execs that I've spoken to is that 
normally they don't normally you're coming into them coming to them with like a pitch deck and you know they're they either like it they don't whatever and then they they buy into the idea you already have a a production company attached great you don't okay if they're interested they want to enter into a development deal with you they will attach one Sometimes you can suggest, sometimes not. Sometimes they just, okay, we're going to pair you with this production uh, company. They will pay you to like write um, the pilot. You know what I mean? And then from there on, it's like, do they want to green light it? Do they not? If they want to green light it, then they'll green light you to shoot the pilot. They'll fund you shooting the pilot. And so it's a whole, you know, put together a whole crew. You have a crew, you have cast and this is specifically for the pilot pilot season it's like okay everybody's shooting pilots and then they they're getting these pilots together and they're like okay which one are we going to move forward with that's 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 scripted this is just what i've learned so but then there's also unscripted which you know that's that is not really wga reality yeah, that's yeah, that's reality docu follow, um, those type competition, those type of shows. Um, which you know, my background before I started writing, like I got my foot in the door in te- in television producing unscripted and like docu follows and things like that. You get picked up unscripted versus huh? scripted. It's scripted, unscripted easier to like get picked up versus unscripted. It depends on who you are. It depends on who you know. It depends on who you have attached. It depends on your reps and how good they are and how connected they are. It's a lot, like, honestly, there's no, like, one set route. There are a lot of people who are, it's a lot of nepotism in the industry, which, you know, I always say this about nepotism and it's similar to politics. Everybody hates politics until it works in their favor. The same thing with nepotism. Everybody hates nepotism until it works in their favor. This is like 95% of business of who you know. Like it's like your your connections, your relationships. So things can happen and, and sometimes not even in that order. But that's just like the general sense based on what I've experienced so far. I Again, because I've produced and I started off producing in Unscripted, I have an agent in Unscripted and I have several show like formats that I have developed and have been pitching around that is especially now which is so sad like I I do want to just like say for a second like I personally based on my experience pitching I feel like a lot of creativity is restricted because these production companies and these networks love to play it safe and and when I say play it safe I mean like they want collateral and collateral meaning Who's attached? Who's the executive producer? Who is the talent? And I get it from a business standpoint. You know, if you're going to be investing like hundreds of thousands of dollars into stuff, you want to make sure that it does good. But I do feel like sometimes like there's really good content that's getting passed up. And it's like versus some content that's getting greenlit and making it to air. That is the only difference between the two is like who was attached. And I don't know, as a creative, it's, it's very frustrating to deal with. But on that end of the thing, on, on that side of things, it's really just a matter of 
putting together the format, putting together a one sheet, putting together a deck. Um, what I'm experiencing now, a lot of companies have been very interested in one of my projects specifically. And it, now what I'm experiencing is like, we're getting attachments. So I've been having to like play that whole game and like get talent attached. And like, I've been having meetings with like execs at record labels and things of that nature. It's a lot of politicking, but essentially what would happen with that unscripted show is, you know, if they would either enter into a development deal with, which I actually had a network say that they wanted to do that. So I connected them with my reps and things of that nature and then just didn't never heard from them. That happens too. Was following up, my agent was following up. They literally just fell off the face of the earth. And you know, the rumor is maybe they didn't have the funds anymore or whatever, because that happens too. Like, and so sometimes things have to get cut, you know, especially if it's like a high budget, like a high production, you know, value production or whatever. So, but essentially they'll either enter into a, a development deal or they will also give you the funds to go and shoot like a pilot or a sizzle. And they see the sizzle, they say, okay, do you want to move forward with it? Do not. They Then you get a series order, you get a series order, you go shoot it and hopefully it makes it to air. So yeah, there are a lot of steps and it's also they want to, they too want to attach a production company. So are you hopeful about the future? Like not the future <laughs> of just the industry, but with the strike, like, are you hopeful that how long do you think this is realistically going to last? And do you think that you'll get, is there a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? That's like, what I was going for yeah. too. What's the end goal? So my guess is yes. Um, most people in the industry, the guess is yes, because a, you know, I've heard that, I've heard a lot of things. I've heard that like, you know, this, this there's a force majeure clause, um, clause in a lot of like these overall deal contracts that people have. Um, and so essentially it's like they're saving money because then they get to like cancel a lot of these contracts. That's something that I've heard, you know, I've heard, you know, obviously you are, if you've stockpiled content and now here you are, and you know there's a strike going on so you kind of have some time like to give it and you're actually saving money because you're not uh spending money on other things you know you're not spending money on rooms and things of that nature like, so it's a lot of what'd you say the development you're not spending money on development right and i mean even layoffs i mean disney before this even happened disney was mm -hmm. doing a bunch of you know what i'm saying so there's that. Um, it's it's like very interesting, but I'm thinking that again, maybe their strategy was to hold off until they come to the negotiation deals with uh they have to come to the negotiation table with um the DGA, which is the directors guild, and SAG after because their SAG after, which is the actors guild, because their contracts are also about to come mm -hmm. to an end. I don't know. I don't, I don't see last, last time this happened back in 08, the strike lasted for a hundred days. I think it was mm -hmm. like a hundred days. So I'm suspecting that we will all be back by September. I think some of my counterparts who are very optimistic are, are saying June at the end of the day, no one really knows. 
but all things considered especially the hit that like entertainment as a whole took when COVID happened and there was like a complete stop down of production you know back then in 2020 and just this overall this overall desire or push for investors like you know for these um, networks and things of that nature to generate more profit I don't foresee this um, being something that goes on longer than like three or four months that's just my opinion though so uh, and let's be clear I don't know if it made it clear though this is not just these are like the powers that be that are just super above the people that we see on tv because I know a lot of people on twitter were coming at Quinta and I know we talked offline about it but I do want it to be clear that it's so many other powers like as you wrote so many yeah. connections Quinta, so many Quinta Brunson God bless her heart we love Quinta and I love everything and admire everything that she's doing she is not in control of this okay this is between the two unions WGA it's a labor MCC. dispute this is, yeah this is this is beyond um you know those people who have overall deals and like creators of shows and things of that nature like this is the people who cut the check and the people who represent us like as a union so yeah and also to answer your other question that you asked like aside of how long I think this is gonna go I think on the other end I like on the other side of it I think that there is going to be a whirlwind of opportunity for people like me, especially who have been trying to get into rooms. And so for me, like what I'm doing right now is just writing every day. You know, it's sad because it's also fellowship season and fellowship season is like one of those like very um, important things that as a entry level writer, you take advantage of because they kind of give you the validity or the green stamp for in order for you to go to the next level and for like showrunners and you know writers to like take you serious and so I'm in a writer's group and we were actually preparing for fellowship season but you know it's something called scabbing which is essentially you don't want to go against the WGA and take on work like writing for shows be like without the WGA the WGA's consent like while this is happening because they will blackball you okay they will blacklist you and like you don't want to do that you don't want to be barred from being able to join the WGA because they are there to protect you and so and so that's called scabbing when you're like going and 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 writing anyway and like taking on work anyway um, while this is going on and so what we have learned as a writer's group is that it's also considered scabbing to apply for these fellowships especially the fellowships with the studios and so that's really interesting too and I'm like it sucks but at the same time I'm like well shit that's just more time for me to like work on my writing so I'm writing every day I'm still, I'm not having generals with network execs, but I'm meeting with writers. I'm meeting with showrunners. I'm talking to my mentors and I'm just trying to take 
as as much advantage of this time as possible. I'm also like spending a lot of time, like I'll be investing some of my personal funds soon into shooting my own stuff. Like I monetized on YouTube. So I plan on just posting my content on YouTube. And so I'm working with other, you know, uh, support staff, creatives, writers, actors, and things of that nature where I'm like, okay, like I'm just put up my own money, invest my own money. Let's go shoot something ourselves and post on YouTube, use the profits from YouTube to be able to like do more stuff, you know? Cause I, I also feel like as being, because I was in that stage of transitioning from support staff to like trying to get staffed on a show one of the things that I learned is like you know while support staff is great like at the end of the day people don't like something and I don't want to say sometimes people it's hard for people to see you outside of just being an assistant or a writer's assistant until you show them what the hell you can do and so I was already in that mind space anyway, like, okay, I'm over this shit. <laughs> like, you know, I am ready to just create, like, that's, that's what I do. Like, that's what I want to do essentially. Right. So it's like, all right, I'm, I'm no longer waiting for permission from people to do that. So that's what I'm on. And I feel like at the end of this, I'll have stronger samples. I'll have content that I've shot. I, you know, I hopefully will have more relationships with more writers as I continue to go out there on the picket lines and I'll be ready waiting to get staffed. So, you know, I think that's like the silver lining <laughs> of it all. Though it is kind of scary because like, you know, you still have bills and stuff to pay to, but Ooh. I'll be straight. I like well, that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you're going to kill it. You have the right mindset. It just, I mean, this just sucks. But I also hope that like, this is the end because I do feel like even though 2008 seems that long ago it really wasn't that that long ago so I hope like 10 years after this we're not still here talking about the same thing because that, that's just ridiculous and who knows you know with the way that technology is developing who knows yeah uh, well we truly appreciate oh what were you gonna say no no please no, no I was saying I'm pretty sure back in 2008 like not a lot of people was was expecting like streaming. Oh yeah, yeah, so, definitely not. Become the norm, yeah. So it's interesting. You know, I'm in it for the long run. I have like some things that I've set up, like some security things that I've set up. So you know, that's why it's okay. important to it. So. Well, from all of us and all of our listeners, we want to thank you for just oh, sharing your story you. and your journey. I think it's going to be really informative for. A lot of people. Um, real quick, where can people follow you or connect with your YouTube channel or any all that good stuff? For sure. So on all of my social media platforms, it's at Maisha Miller, and that's M-I-E-S-H-A-M-I-L-L-E-R underscore. And then my YouTube is just my name, Maisha Miller. So nice. definitely like, share, subscribe, because y'all about to be seeing some content on there for sure. So nice. <laughs> well, we'll all look forward. To that and be sure to follow all of our content that includes twitter <laughs> instagram and tiktok at wrgo pod be sure to like listen subscribe on all of our streaming platforms that include spotify apple Podcasts, soundcloud google play iHeartRadio, and amazon if i can ever get my stuff together one day and thank you all for listening <laughs>